long time ago, people would meet online and they would be able to talk. But being able to trust each other was an impossibility. You needed a third party to be able to establish trust between the two of you. And the challenges that that creates is it brings about uh, issues to do with fraud. It brings about a high cost of transacting or interacting online. Blockchain makes it possible to have peer-to-peer -peer interaction. That was not possible. Hey guys, what's up? How's it going? You're listening to another episode of the Grey F Podcast and my name is Grey Jabez. And today we have another exciting episode with Apollo Eric Omar from Eternity Hub Africa. Uh, and this is a software company developing decentralized application on Eternity blockchain, which is open source. You are already familiar with Eternity but uh, Apollo is the lead of Eternity Hub uh, in Africa and he's based in Kenya. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of an overview of who Apollo is. So Apollo Omer is the driving force behind Eternity Hub Africa, an entity supporting education and entrepreneurship all over the continent. Its main goal is to encourage developers, entrepreneurs and designers to build on top of the Eternity uh, blockchain and to turn their ideas into viable businesses. So this is very important. And actually, if you haven't uh, looked into Eternity um, project itself, you can go to Eternity.com. That's A-E-T-E-R-N-I-T-Y.com. Uh, they're the answer to current challenges in blockchain technology. And they also, um, uh, Eternity Hub, Africa sponsors this podcast, so that's definitely awesome that you guys check it out. So, you know, the Eternity project itself has been around for a while. They also have uh, a token, actually, the Eternity uh, token, which you can, um, you know, you can buy it and trade it and you can find it around different exchanges. It's a very solid project. So in this episode specifically, I discuss um, with Apollo uh, what they're doing at the hub and also uh, how can other people uh, get involved. What can you do to get involved if you're in Africa and you want to get involved with identity and also how he got started because he's an, an entrepreneur. He has done so many other different things and it also gives an, an overview of really what's happening in terms of blockchain technology uh, on the continent of Africa. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, thank you for listening. For You can check out Eternity Hub by simply going to EternityHub.Africa. Thank you for listening. I'll see you in the next one. Hey guys, what's up? You're listening to the Grey F podcast and today we have another exciting guest. But before we even go ahead and start, you can actually listen to the Grey F podcast on multiple platforms from uh, Apple iTunes, Spotify, iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Sorry, by the way. Um, and all the largest podcasting platforms out there. And also you can find the podcast on my website, greatjabesi.com. But the Greater Podcast is really where we discuss survival skills for the first century. So if you want to be ahead of the game, uh, this is where you should definitely be. So uh, our guest today is coming out of Kenya. And Apollo, I would like you to introduce yourself. Um, when you meet people at the bar, or strangers on the bus, how do you introduce yourself? 
<laughs> Thank you very much, Gray, for the opportunity to uh, speak. Um, my name is Apollo Cheng Eric, uh, born and raised in Kenya. Um, my background really is in trading. I've been trader of the financial markets since uh, 2012. Um, Self-taught. Um, school, I went to study something in medicine, which I never got to practice because of very many other reasons. Um, so my entry into uh, blockchain technology really is from a trader's point of view. Um, I was trading FX, equity, and the commodities market. And as a trader, you become um, very, very cautious and attentive to what's happening in the world because you have to do a lot of research. You have to do a lot of analysis. And uh, in those early days, you know, Bitcoin used to kind of come up uh, in the news feed and, and, and not much attention I could pay to it because uh, um, at the beginning really didn't look like something that uh, I could trust or even uh, uh, like put my money in or even try to investigate more about um, just a lot of scams around it. But because it wasn't going away and more and more information was coming out about it, about how people are using it and how really the fundamental thing about it which is the technology behind it. As I came to learn more about it, research and study about it, I kind of fell in love with it. And um, even my switching uh, from trading these other traditional assets in the market to fully being uh, in the crypto space happened because of that realization that, hey, there's something here that people are not paying attention to. And it's shifting and changing so much from below. And by the time people become aware of it, I think it might be uh, very, very late. And so from there, I kind of started talking to almost everybody about it because it was quite exciting to see what uh, it is that um, uh, the tech that was uh, behind uh, crypto was about and uh, never really looked back. Um, so yeah, trading, but right now, one of the hats that I wear uh, um, is, is I founded um, an organization called Eternity Hub Africa uh, with the focus of promoting the adoption and, and the use of blockchain technology in, in all, all the facets of, of our society. And the goal is to just, is through which we as young people who really form the biggest uh, uh, part of the population of our continent can come up with solutions uh, to some of the problems and challenges that we face in other people, other society. And I think that is going to happen because um, I've seen so many young people quite enthusiastic. Once they learn about this technology, most of them just want to get deeper and deeper into knowing what else can it do or what can I use it for. And we're seeing some use cases that people are trying to, to build actual stuff that can solve problems. And, and I'm really excited about how it's, it's going to, to play out. That's a very long uh, introduction to who I am. Uh, yeah. I was about to say, well, that is an, a, a long intro when you meet someone on the bus. That would be, <laughs> that would be super impressed though. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, maybe let's talk about one of the things that I found interesting in, in what you said is the, um, the fact that you, you know, what you studied formally isn't really what you've been doing. 
professionally. Yeah. You know, you said you taught yourself how to, uh, to trade markets. How did that work out for you? Like, <clears throat> what kind of markets were you trading? Uh, how did you even get, it, get the information? You know, all that. Because that's well, from, from, from Kenya, I suppose it must be. If you're speaking of, say, international stocks, for example, it, it becomes difficult to, to yeah. access those kind of markets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, uh, the primary market I was trading was FX. Um, but then once I learned how to play around in the FX market, uh, that confidence took me to the equity market. And in the equity market, I was trading in you know, the broad indices. So I'm talking about uh, S&P 500, the SAX, you know, the DAX, all those big indexes. Because as long as the market's moving up and down, you just need a strategy for going in and coming out when you've locked in your profit. And um, uh, the commodities market as well. So I've traded gold, uh, I've traded silver for a very long time. And how I got into that is, you know how it goes, you finish uh, your university studies and most of the time uh, you are trained for something that you just can't get a job locally because I trained to become a medical, biomedical scientist. And that would mean that I end up working in um, a bioengineering company or a medical research center. Uh, we have just a handful of those around. But uh, one of the things I learned when I was in school is how to just kind of teach myself anything that I wanted. To. Uh, I've taught myself so many things from riding a bicycle to driving a car to rollerblading. So it's some kind of skill that uh, I, I learn best when I teach myself. And um, where, well, the information was online, actually. Um, um, I started learning a lot when I was still a student online. I would do a lot of research and get a lot of information online. And so actually, internet has been my, my teacher in all of uh, this journey. And if you practice on the internet with those demo accounts, your confidence grew. At some point, I started putting in just a little bit of money here and there to see how that worked out. At the beginning, I burnt a lot, but it was small money. So uh, it's after like two and a half years later when I was completely fully uh, trading professionally and, and, and earning a living out of it. Yeah, that's how I got into it. Okay, so that, that's interesting. I mean, I think let, let's talk a little bit more um, on learning because, you know, I, I'm self-taught as well in, in mostly, I mean, I've never been to university or anything like that. So I'm always curious. I'm always curious with uh, how other people uh, uh, approach learning. So if you're trying to learn a new skill, like what does your setup look like? You know, do you just go around randomly, or you you give yourself a curriculum and and tests and stuff like that? And at what point do you say that? Do, do you stop if you do stop at all to be like, okay, I think now I'm pretty good at this. Yeah. Well, um, the way I look at life is we have to learn uh, throughout because um, even biologically, the way we are designed, the moment you're not functionally using your cells, they start to degrade. So I think learning should be a lifelong uh, process. Uh, but my approach to learning is normally uh, by trying to solve a particular problem. So when I got into the market, the first interesting thing was can I be able to beat it? If the price goes up and the price goes down, then there has to be a way I can be able to tell uh, that there is a pattern here. And if you go in at this particular level, you know, the market is like 
your heartbeat or your DNA. You have to understand it and interpret it for yourself. You cannot use another person's uh, perspective or view uh, to make trading decisions. It has to be you, the way you see it, the way you feel it, because at the end of the day, when you burn, it's just you who, who, who is burning. And when you feel that pain from burning, you know that there is a mistake I made and you can't repeat that uh, the second time. So my approach to learning is normally by solving a problem. So I come up with a set of problems and uh, the hours. So it takes, say, three to eight years. If you're really dedicated, you become an expert in anything. So the goal is to solve a problem, but then I give myself time to just immerse myself into it, get to understand it without ego or without trying to have biases about you know, whatever it is that I'm getting myself into. That has been my way. Right. So do you, do you have, like, um, say, a set uh, strategy or it's random? Because, you know, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm stressing on that because I'm curious, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm, it, for a lot of, I'm impressed by people who teach things, you know, who, who are able to learn on their own. Uh, and I know yeah. how challenging that can be or easier it can be. Like for me, it's easier to learn things on my own than to be taught, right? But like I don't really, I tend to not have a structure around it. So yeah. basically, I know I um, just go, I go randomly, you know, look at this and that, like different interests. Uh, or, or I think this actually adds uh, into my reading as well. The way I read, I read only what I'm interested in. So when I'm yeah. reading a book, I'm not going to go through the first to the last page. I jump around into what I'm interested, I'm interested in, but eventually I end up finishing the whole thing if it was really that good to me, right? Yeah. So even yeah. my style yeah. of learning is kind of the dynamic. It's not, uh, I'm, I'm unable Great. to set a very, uh, say, stable curriculum and follow it through, even if it's designed, if it's yeah. written by myself. So I don't know how, how yours look like. Well, um, one of the things that I learned about myself when I was still very young is I had a very kind of uh, short attention span in mm. class when we had a teacher. Um, I wouldn't concentrate for so long, but I, it doesn't mean that I was having uh, bad grades. I was having very good grades because I would have fun you know, going through the books myself and just trying to solve uh, whatever math problem or language problem I, I had. So if I knew that then very early on, I just started playing on with things myself. So I do have a very big library right here. So I read a lot of books and that kind of expands my knowledge about uh, very, very, very many things. I don't have really a structure that if I'm going to learn how like, to build a software, then I'm going to go through this here of curriculum. No, but it's really interest because if I have the interest, normally I create the time and it is interesting enough to take me through even the periods when it's not so interesting, but I know I have a goal because if I am very good at this, then I can be able to use it for a particular a thing like ABCD. I wasn't able to earn a living immediately after my campus because the course I studied was not uh, easily uh, getting a job with. And I had access to internet. I, have, I had laptop and already I had the culture of getting online and just looking for information or studying or researching just for the fun of it and yeah so pretty much no style no strict structure but i know that if i really want to do something i have to develop interest for it and then i also must just set 
up time. Uh, I can give you an example. Trading, for instance. Um, I'm in East Africa. Um, I have to wake up in the morning around uh, 3, 4 to catch up with the Asian market. Uh, during the day, we have the European market. And then in the evening, late hours, we have the US market. You have to be very, very interested to keep up pace with all of that chaos and all of that noise and still be able to make the right decision because uh, at some point you also realize that really that's how you pay your bills. So you have to take it uh, with all the, uh, the respect and, uh, and the seriousness that it deserves. So really no serious structure, but the seriousness that it deserves, I kind of give it that when it's uh, important for me to learn. So do you still, do you still trade right now? A hundred percent. I still trade. Uh, I even just uh, started an OTC uh, desk for Bitcoin um, a couple of weeks ago. Okay. So what is the um, besides OTC? Uh, I do OTC in Malawi as well, by the way. But um, oh, good. If if you right, what is the, your trading style look like? Are you trading the Bitcoin markets? Do you do the leverage trading? When you're trading crypto, I suppose because it's very volatile. What, what, what would be the? How do you contrast the two? How you look at the crypto market and say the forex? Well, I really think that uh, blockchain as a technology is kind of setting the foundation for the next level of financial systems. And when I look at uh, the forex market and how we've been able to interact with it using platforms like uh, the Meta. Uh, for even uh, the the latest version, uh, it's going to change so much. And the comparison I have here is FX is money, uh, crypto is money, just in a different way. And because if it is that revolutionary and that uh, breakthrough in how it's designed and built, uh, you know, to resist censorship, to bring a new radical uh, level of transparency. And, and all these features that are, are attracting it uh, are attracting people towards it. Um, the challenge I have as a trader in the crypto market is most of the time is, is volumes. The volumes are very, very low. Um, I can give you an example, and I'm not saying, I don't know whether I should really mention a particular exchange or not. Is that allowed to mention a particular exchange uh, in, in, in the podcast? But yeah, yeah, I mean, sure. generally speaking, yeah. most of them, most of them, if you, if, if you do take a trade, you realize that um, one trade is split up into so many several other trades. It's because there's no volume. There's not enough volume in the, in, in the market to be able to just do like one big uh, a trade. So I think that uh, that will change with time because more and more people are getting into the space, whether it's for speculative purposes, whether people who are looking to really understand and, and professionally trade, or even institutional traders who are going to bring in money, uh, because that is what's going to change uh, the problem of volatility. Eventually, when uh, I think regulation becomes uh, friendlier and you know there is a lot of money in the world, uh, more and more of these hedge funds and more crypto funds become much, much more mature because most of them right now are just uh, playing around with a couple of million. But I think the whole financial market is worth trillions and trillions of dollars. And so blockchain really is that, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I was, I was about to say, uh, so what kind of assets do you trade then uh, to avoid? I mean, I'm aware definitely of uh, the volume 
problem in, in crypto specifically. And I tend to not trade small volume coins, you know, small caps. Yeah. So yeah. like what, what um, assets do you trade and why? And do you, you know, do you see any patterns? Like, like do you have any uh, kind of patterns that you have noticed that are personal to you that, you know, you, you probably don't have to be take, you, to prove them technically, but you just yeah. recognize them that you use. I will give you an example. So I yeah. personally have, a, I've been trading XRP for like two years. So yeah. I, I know that there are certain, so it, it, it's either 18 cents or, yeah. 20, or 23 yeah. or 32, right? So, yeah. any, yeah. in, and so my targets, you know, when I'm, when I'm uh, longing or shorting it, I always look for those. So anytime mm. I see that 19 cents, um, yeah. 23, it's a buy for me. Like I massively yeah. buy it. Do you have some assets <laughs> that you, yeah. you, you have yeah. uh, developed your own mar- patterns? Yeah, so um, my trading um, methodology revolves around price action. So I look for entry at you know those resistance and 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 uh, and I'm able to draw. You know, if it's um, like I think right now the biggest market I'm looking at with a lot of uh, interest is the BTC market. Um, I'm about to break up. I think if we go beyond. 9,500 to 11,500, then we will be shooting up. My main market is Bitcoin. I do a lot of it. Um, I was doing eternity sometimes back, but the volumes are very thin, so not very, very favorable if you uh, want to actively uh, trade the markets. But BTC and ETH are my main top um, uh, assets in, in the crypto space. Yeah. Right. Now, since you mentioned Eternity, um, uh, let's jump into that. Uh, how did you even yeah. get involved with that project? And what, what, what were you interested in to begin with in that? So um, around 2017, there was a lot of noise about blockchain all over. And going around the city in Nairobi, uh, there was a lot of anxiety because you know prices were going up and everyone was talking about how some people become rich millionaires there were so many scamish projects walking around and as a person who'd gotten to understand the project i took myself out there to do something about that so i started doing uh, uh meetups um around blockchain mainly geared towards just educating people because not much of that was happening there was a lot of scattered activities here and there and um i was doing this mainly in the innovations hub so we have i have here uh, we have uh, meta i think it's also in cape town or something and through that you know we kind of formed a community of enthusiasts and the people i can say we started and began with have really grown and they're all doing different kinds of very, very interesting stuff with very many different uh, uh, protocols or blockchain. But through those meetups, uh, we kind of built um, a group of people who would go to universities to do you know, technical trainings. We started um, working also with um, a few businesses here and there. So startups which were looking at the tech and thinking, hey, we can do something about this, but we don't really understand it. 
we were some of the first people who had, you know, a little bit of understanding of it. So working with all those kind of started opening up a lot of opportunities. And um, yeah, I think it is in 2017 when we did one of the biggest events. So we organized a blockchain conference uh, in partnership with a company called Trescon. I think they'll be coming to Cape Town this year or next year for a blockchain conference. And we did manage to bring together people from all over the world, um, government in Kenya and uh, a few African countries. And entrepreneurs came to showcase their blockchain products. And it is in that conference that I met um, 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 Yanis, uh, not Yanis Lab, but Emin and Nicola, um, who are really, really high profile uh, uh, people at Eternity. I helped them organize the first Eternity meetup in Nairobi, which was very, very successful. And from there, we kept in touch, but also started kind of uh, putting structures in place because. Eternity has a very, very strong focus and interest in the continent of Africa. Um, they've so far given um, some money seed stage funding to a couple of startups here in Nairobi. Um, the other day I saw one startup also from, from Nigeria that just succeeded in getting um, their 100K from a staff lease, uh, uh, which is an accelerator, a global accelerator for all those uh, startups which are building their tech on an eternity. So because of that focus on Africa and also the fact that, um, you know, by then the tech was still very, very much under development. We didn't even have a test net in place. But, you know, the team looked very, very committed. And that commitment is from the fact that um, I can, maybe I can, I can break down to you why I really like eternity and and join it in, in the first place from a very, very technical point of view. Yes, please. The language that is used to write the blockchain protocol is in Elang. And if you look at the world over, all the communication devices, all the traffic across the internet, 90% of it go through uh, devices that run on Elang. So basically our internet is run by this technology that has been used to build uh, this protocol. And the vision from the very beginning was to learn from all the challenges uh, that were there in the, in the first generation blockchain networks like uh, Bitcoin, second generation like Ethereum, which brought about a smart contract. And you know, bringing all those challenges and learning from you know, all the difficulties that were there, which some of which are scalability, uh, you couldn't scale those protocols uh, efficiency, transparency, even governance, uh, still a very big problem in in, in the first generation uh, protocol like uh, Bitcoin. So if you look at if you look at the team that came together to build Eternity, uh, one of the people who actually wrote the language Elang is one of the co-developers of of Eternity, the protocol, and they're very committed, very dedicated. And you know, over the years, we've seen so 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 much progress. It actually actually developed and grown into this. A global ecosystem where we have guys in Africa, in South America, and even Asia, all coming up and building uh, different kinds of solutions on Eternity. So yeah, that's how I got introduced myself working uh, with Eternity Blockchain. Hello. In terms, in terms of um, what is because look, there's a lot of things going on. We have so far 
uh, over 3,000 cryptocurrencies now on CoinMarketCap, right? For people coming into yes. the space, whether uh, from an investment point of view or just out of technical interest. Yeah. So what is, so, you know, you, you have mentioned uh, Bitcoin as the, um, the first generation blockchain and Ethereum as the yeah. second and eternity is, we can consider the third, generation. third generation. What is yeah. the difference and what does it offer that the other chains, like what would be the reason that a developer or a, an institution would choose eternity to build uh, the dApps or smart contracts on uh, other than say Ethereum or anything like that. And also uh, in terms of uh, the, pro the progress that have been made, uh, what kind of products have already been launched or built on eternity that are functional today? Yeah, uh, thank you very much. That's a very good question. So eternity has been designed to deliver unmatched efficiency, transparency, governance, and global scalability. What that means is you're able to run your smart contract code at a global scale at lightning speed. We're talking about applications in IoT, uh, FinTech, video gaming. We're talking about uh, micro uh, transactional uh, payments. So what makes Eternity stand out so much from this other uh, uh, blockchain you mentioned we have like three thousands of them uh, i think one of the key things that for me stands out is the fact that we have a hybrid consensus for mechanism the consensus mechanism is hybrid we have proof of stake and proof of work all brought uh, together and uh, and the unique thing about uh, the chain apart from just having a hybrid uh, proof of stake proof of work is we have uh, Oracle as first class objects. So Oracles connect real world data with smart contracts which are running on Eternity blockchain and you call them right from within the blockchain. So they are not, you're not calling them from outside which creates uh, issues to do with latency, which create issues to do with security because you don't know who's feeding the Oracle with information or if the information being fed into the Oracle is even uh, uh, verified. I think the other challenge which we had with uh, uh, first and second generation uh, platform was, was privacy. They say that Bitcoin is really private, but is it really, really private? Um, how Eternity is making sure that you can actually initiate and have private con, uh, transactions and inter interactions on, on blockchain is by implementing a feature called uh, state channels, which execute smart contracts off-chain. So the blockchain enforces smart contracts code only in the case of disagreement between the contracting parties. And the advantage of that is most of these transactions are able to happen privately. And so the entire chain does not need to know what's happening uh, with two parties which are interacting and, and, and transacting or moving value between them. The advantage of that is also it unburdens the chain from all these transactions. Because if you look at Bitcoin, all the transaction happens on chain. That burdens it, and that's why it takes maybe you know 10 minutes, sometimes but even one hour to just confirm a single transaction. Right now on Eternity, we can be able to do up to 1,016 transactions in less than a second. And uh, talking about some of the unique features, um, you know how difficult it is to memorize a private or even a public key. 
one of the things that Eternity is doing is coming up with a naming system that is user-friendly, something that just like uh, a www.web URL that you can use to be able to access your data or even your wallet, something that you can easily be able to remember. So kind of take the management of uh, your key and make it very, very uh, convenient to just you and you yourself. I also think it's very unique how the governance uh, is happening because it's by uh, stakeholders. So the miners and stakeholders participate in making decisions in which direction the development of the protocol goes. And what's even in, uh, much more interesting is, is you can exercise what we call liquid democracy. So if I think that, uh, Gray, you have enough knowledge about a matter in the direction in which a protocol is supposed to go, I can be able to take my vote and stake it and you know, give you the authority to be able to, uh, to use that uh, uh, and make that decision on my behalf. Um, we are looking very, very much about reducing the cost of action privacy and security is really really uh, on, on top of things when it comes to uh, uh, the cryptographic data structures that are being used to be able to implement uh, this protocol uh, talking about some of the projects that have been implemented um, we so the chain itself comes with uh, with what we call apps so they are native applications within the chain one of them is a wallet um, that help you store your token in a very, very safe environment. Um, the second one is uh, a voting, uh, a decentralized application. We've used that to make decision about uh, a fork that just happened um, a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and just other than this base application that comes with the, with the, with the blockchain, there are a number of people who are already, you know, working on uh, so many other solutions. Uh, there is a microinsurance uh, company in Nairobi that is developing insurance for motorbike riders. We have a company called Utu that is building trust uh, recommendation, trust recommendation engine online on eternity. We have a company that is doing a green energy uh, development. So the generation of it and the smart contract that is involved in distributing it amongst you know the peer-to-peer -peer users uh, at, the, at the end of the mile so yeah that is what i can say that makes eternity stand out but also some of the uh, the projects that have been uh, deployed on it yeah. right so i mean since you're in the midst of the of all this you can see how uh, projects like Eternity that are actually real, building real stuff, and they have a protocol that's working. How do you see yeah. blockchain taking off? Do you think it's just a uh, a fluke or kind of a, a a trend or you know a short-lived moment in tech, which is just it's a bubble that's just going to come, make some noise, and it will disappear? Or you think this will really shape how? Uh, we live and interact or do certain things, you know, that have been maybe, uh, you know, things that has, haven't been disrupted for a very long time, like voting and, uh, you know, fintech and other things like that, that blockchain currently promises to be addressing. Um, thank you very much for that question. It's a very good one because 
um, it's a question that people keep on pondering about. Is it going to stay forever? Is the anxiety going to die off at some point? Is it really going to bring all the promises that uh, you know, people are talking about? Um, a very honest personal opinion. I think blockchain is here to stay. And uh, the changes that it's going to bring are massive and really, really uh, disruptive. Uh, when you talk about uh, the technologies that are enabling um, uh, in the fourth industrial revolution, I think blockchain is at the core. And we are seeing things which were originally, initially impossible. Long time ago, people would meet online and they would be able to talk. But being able to trust each other was an impossibility. You needed a third party to be able to establish trust between the two of you. And the challenges that that creates is it brings about uh, issues to do with crowd. It brings about a high cost of transacting or interacting online. Blockchain makes it possible to have peer-to-peer interaction. That was not possible. And I don't think we can really walk back from a world where I can meet someone in Guangzhou, China, and be able to trust that what they're telling me is real because I have a way of being able to verify that information uh, from the blockchain. Um, uh, the other thing that was not uh, really possible in the beginning or before that is very possible right now is the transfer of value. You needed a bank, you needed a company like PayPal, you needed a company like uh, M-Pesa if you're in Kenya to be able to move money from one person to another. That has completely changed, and we're not going to walk back from it. People are going to continue using this new way of, because it brings down the cost. Uh, it's far more, much more secure than you know the other options that we have available, and it gives you full security and custody of you know your assets. So uh, the other thing that is being made possible uh, by blockchain is is just the, the sheer fact that you know, there is independence. There's like freedom that each and everyone can have. And this freedom is how you manage your own personal information and data online, which is, I think, a very, very big problem for very many people who are aware and know enough to appreciate the challenges that uh, uh, people face out there when, you know, your information is stolen or you're hacked and, and, and all that. This change is only going to continue to accelerate. And in fact, I think that what, what we need to do as, as a society is, is just change how we, we look at it. We should not wish that it, it, it's not going to be there or it's going to, you know, to, to stop. It's only going to accelerate. And the acceleration of the acceleration is going to continue to accelerate itself. Um, is that a good answer to your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. I was just giving you more time. I thought you had... Um you had yes, more to, yeah. to say yeah so yeah man you know it's uh it's an interesting because from the outside well maybe it is happening <clears throat> slowly because from the outside it feels like you know people who are enthusiastic about blockchain they're really over optimistic about it and in areas where it matters, where it really has to be applied, say, in, you know, at a government level, for example, right? It seems like there's yeah. very little interest, let alone if you trade, you understand how little has been done even to address uh, the cryptocurrencies, right? The regulation around, you know, what, what do we consider these things as 
or the tax implications yeah. have, haven't even been uh, implemented yet. And, but you know, you, then you look at, I was listening to Jamie Dimon um, last week and he was like, you know, ah, we have our own coin that we issued and we use it within, we just that. <laughs> so now they have their own coin and they do this <laughs> Exactly, right? <laughs> so for me, it, it's interesting that it's, things are moving in a way that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a force that, you know, people want to push blockchain to change how things are done. At the same time, there's a push of people not wanting that change, but then they recognize that they still have to embrace it, but they're not doing it yeah. overtly, whether, I don't know if they're uh, scared of criticism or <laughs> I don't know what it means if they come publicly and say like, I think it's, 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 it's scrutiny maybe because we can look at Facebook as an example who came out and, you know, <laughs> like they're, embrac they're embracing, but now they're facing a lot of fire. So I don't know. Yeah, everyone is running away from the Libra project. Yeah, but what, what does the Kenya look like um, in, in the aspect of crypto, blockchain? What is, what is the government take on it? Or banks? Do you get, your, do you get accounts frozen in, as, as well, like other countries are doing? So I think for a revolutionary technology like, like blockchain, you have to kind of face this kind of uh, initial resistance. Uh, we should not forget that it's only, I think the other day it was 11 years since the first uh, white paper for Bitcoin was published. And people need to come to understand that it's not a threat to you know, the business models or the foundation uh, way of life or, People who are resisting the technology or who are shy from just publicly embracing it are because, as you say, there's scrutiny, but there's also criticism and also the fear of you know, the kind of imbalance it creates uh, in the short run. In the long term, I think everyone agrees that you know, blockchain is a good technology and we all should uh, you know, use it. In the short run, there's a lot of things that uh, it creates, a lot of turmoil, which we must also not run away from. Um, in Kenya, uh, the environment is a little bit favorable. So uh, two, one and a half years ago, the government did set up a task force for a blockchain and AI. And the main uh, job for this task force was to investigate this technology and accordingly advise the government on how it can integrate it into its processes in the service delivery to the people and also how they can be able to form a regulatory uh, framework you know, to be able to, uh, to accept uh, its use within the economy. And that has been found by the fact that M-Pesa was very, very successful. M-Pesa faced a lot of resistance at the beginning. People did not want to use it, including uh, the central bank and even the government itself, even though right now they are somehow you know, the majority uh, shareholders. So I think it's a process we have to go through as people are rejecting because of the fear of the change it brings, but also because of, you know, you just don't know, you know, how it plays out. There's no way of telling that this technology is going to evolve in this way. Technology always have a way of just taking a life of its own and evolving in very many different directions. Um, the banks, they are very cautious because... Um, at the, sometimes in 2015, the central bank governor did put out a circular warning each and every financial institution not to uh, do business with anyone or entity which is involved in trading uh, Bitcoin or any other crypto. But 
to the contrary. Actually, even yesterday I was in the bank and I was praying for Africa and they have a lot of interest in you know blockchain technology and the tech people in there they can they all normally come for our meetups they come for the conferences so it's not like they're shying away until that time when they have that clear go ahead say from the regulatory body or even from the government that you can go and pursue this and i think it's going to happen just if one company or one uh, government just comes out uh, the other day china said that they're going to have a coin a digital currency of of their own those are efforts which are geared towards uh, making this a reality. I think it will be a challenge, but we will get to a point where everyone is comfortable and everyone knows that this technology is an equalizer and an equalizer for good because it creates more opportunity than it takes them away from those who fear you know, its effects in the short run. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, saying that it's, it takes more opportunity, it creates more opportunities than it disrupts actually. Because one of the things yep. that people, you know, easily jump onto is like, hey, you know, um, people use these things to for money laundering or stuff like that. Like, hey, you know, if but if yeah. you, yeah. you 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 look at the bright side, you see that there's a lot of progress being made as well. I so, think there's a lot of money laundering happening using fiat than using BTC. I think it's just one percent of all the money laundering happening using BTC. Like ninety-eight percent is happening in fiat. Oh yeah, of currency. course. Of course, yeah, and and you know, <laughs> money laundering and, and all, all those kind of things were happening way before uh, crypto yeah. existed. Anyway, exactly. Yeah, it's a human vice. You know, it's not a technology. You know, technology is not a bad thing. Just how it's used, uh, for what purpose, and even where it's used. It's normally the context. What I like to say is that so if you say that crypto should be banned simply because. Uh, criminals use it for criminal activity uh, or you can see others say you know there's a lot of blackmails for and the ransom being demanded is in Bitcoin so yeah. I'm like okay so that's almost like say, saying that okay we should ban cell phones because criminals are using <laughs> phones to communicate <laughs> exactly or we should ban cars from the road because thieves use them to go steal and then right you know, Right, yeah, but look, there's a lot of uh, Kenya is doing quite well uh, in the tech space uh, as compared to many um, African countries. What do you think is the contributing factor there for the tech revolution that you guys have going over there? Um, Well, I think before 2000, there were so many challenges that we had. Um, we didn't have roads to anywhere. Our schools were in bad shape. Uh, the government was very, very corrupt and broke, and the country, the economy was just bleeding. But then there was this uh, push and enthusiasm from almost everybody. There was an old government that just went home, and there was this new breed of leaders who came in, and they just wanted to change things. And I think that energy kind of spill over to the people and people kind of started doing things in their own corner so we had people who are really trying to learn how to do all sorts of things by developing uh, software we have all these university students who are trying to come up with all these 3d applications all over it's really push from the fact that we don't have this but then we can be able to create it because 
you know, if we're going to rely on all this debt from China to be able to build our infrastructure, if we are going to rely on engineers from Europe to be able to tell us how to, you know, to build our machines and even how to just put up an electricity line and maintain it, then we are not going to head anywhere. I think it's that push from ground up where almost everyone is tired of how bad things are and they want uh, that change. So kind of everyone contributes. But I think the most important thing is uh, the environment has also been quite enabling. Um, there is a very, very free, open society where as a young person, you can come up with your idea. You can be able to register your business within one week. As a startup, you don't need to pay taxes. And I think all those things put together kind of contributes to the fact that uh, there's that um, acceleration in terms of uh, technological development. So there's need, um, example, M-Pesa. M-Pesa succeeded because people didn't have a way of sending money from you know, urban areas to the rural areas. You'd use Western Union or you'd use banks, which were very expensive, and they would take days. And most people didn't even have, have banks then. And it works because it solved a need that really, really existed. I also think the other thing is um, right now in Nairobi, there's a lot of uh, money uh, from venture capital funds from out there. Um, if you have a startup and you have a serious enough team and you're building some traction in the market, there is a very, very high likelihood that you will get uh, a funds to push your project uh, to another level. So all these factors coming together uh, I think uh, somehow accelerate uh, that technological development that you're seeing uh, happening in Kenya. But I don't think it's just uh, happening in Kenya. I think there's a lot happening in Cape Town. There's a lot of happening in Accra, Ghana, and even in Lagos, Nigeria. Africa as a whole is really, really uh, like a hotbed startup nation, if you can call it. Yeah, very true. I think I just see that uh, a lot of activity when uh, working on projects and we're looking for developers, it's just that there's a, a lot of influx of talent out of Kenya right now. Like I know um, so many Kenyan developers than anywhere else in Africa. So, you know, that kind of shows something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean I, I, I'm not really a fan of the education system, but, you know, everyone kind of says that we have a very good education system that uh, chants out uh, uh, very good people. But what I've seen going through that system is people who really just want to learn on their own, and that's how, you know, they're able to get ahead. Because, I mean, look at it from this point of view. If you don't really work hard and get yourself up out there, then what do you really have? Nothing. Yeah. So, so um, it's a generation of young people who want change, and they're also willing to work for it. And I think that makes a very, very big difference. Right, right, right. In terms of internet, how, how expensive is it there to have like a stable internet connection that you can use per month and you know get productive? Um, I think it's um, very, very good. So like right now I'm in the house and I'm using an internet dongle that costs $50 to buy. And if I give it data bundles worth, say, uh, $10, I can use it for a whole month and the speed I'm getting is 10 Mbps per second. For $10? And yes, for $10 for a whole month. Wow, man. And that I is never even get cheap. to finish everything. It's really, really cheap. What? It's really, really cheap and fast. <laughs> that is crazy. It just doesn't make sense. Dude. Like South Africa is 
way more expensive than that. And let alone, uh, I was in Mozambique last year, in Malawi, yeah. in Ethiopia, internet is so expensive. So if you have like a business that needs connection, you could get up to say 21 Mbps and you'd be paying something close to say $80 a month. Oh, wow. So, yeah. so I think the, other, the only other city I can move to in Africa other than Cape Town or Johannesburg right now is it has to be Nairobi. Welcome. Because to me, you know, uh, internet connection means a lot. And what is the, the power situation? Do you guys get like the power trips and stuff? I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we have. We still have a lot of uh, power outages, especially um, on Fridays, like tomorrow afternoon, and then on Sundays or Saturdays, we have a lot of power outages because they have to maintain the lines. And most of it is also hydro-based. So uh, a little bit on the higher side. But I like the efforts that are being put in place. So um, at the beginning of the year, our president, Kenyatta, just launched uh, the biggest uh, wind farm in, in Africa to generate green energy and feed that into the grid. And we also have a lot of activities going on to exploit uh, geothermal, just to offset all these challenges that we have with power problems. So power is still a problem. But I think we are going to solve it uh, very, very soon. And I like the approach because the approach is, you know, the infrastructure that I'm currently investing in is purely green energy, which is a good thing. Right. Man, I don't want to take too much of your time, but this, this was fantastic. Thanks for your time again. Oh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. Uh, really appreciate it. No problem. Is there anything that you would like to discuss? Well, at this particular point, I would just like to say that uh, people should not be scared of this technology. I think the benefit it will bring us um, at the end of it all outweighs all you know, the short-term challenges that we're seeing because people are looking at how people will lose jobs, how robots will take over, and how no one is even having a conversation about you know, what happens to all those uh, uh, you know, digital slaves or people who just uh, can't get a job because you know, all the robots have taken over. Uh, the conversation people are not having right now is that uh, the owners of capital and machines are training their machines and the capital to be able to learn from human beings. And once the machines are smart enough and take everything from human beings, then what happens to human beings? I think that's a very, very important conversation to have because we must find a way of you know, bringing in people into this new digital world that we are building. If we go into a world where there's a lot of efficiency, there's a lot of productivity, but then very many people are not part of it, I think we create more problems socially than even the technology itself can be able to solve. Yeah, that's what I wanted to add. Thank you. Great way of ending it. So if someone is interested in attendees, so say they want to get involved to some level, what kind of programs do you guys have or things that people can look into to, you know, to actively get involved in, um, in your protocol? Well, we have uh, a number of uh, different programs. The first one that is uh, open to almost everybody is you can become one of our bounty hunters. And there are so many levels. So you can become a developer. You can become a marketer. You can just be doing meetup across universities. As long as you're building a community and you're having good results and everything that you're doing is leading to you know, building this huge ecosystem of 
the family calls eternity. There are a couple of bounties that you can win for that. But I think the most important thing is the opportunities that exist for uh, startups uh, at seed stage. So Eternity has an arm called uh, Ventures that is taking in um, uh, seed stage startups that are building uh, different solutions. And they're taking them through this uh, six months acceleration program where you learn everything that there is for you to be able to become a successful entrepreneur uh, in, in your venture. And then when that uh, uh, period is over, um, uh, those who qualify uh, get funds, uh, so seed fund of up to uh, $100,000 to be able to build uh, your product at that particular level is also provided. Uh, other than that, I think it's a great community, the conversations, the ideas, and, and we're having so much fun as a community. So I would encourage you know, anyone who's looking for a home uh, out there to, to come join us. Fantastic. Uh, great way of ending it. Thank you again, Apollo. If people want to reach you out on social media, what's the uh, their handles? Um, you can find us on uh, Twitter using Eternity A. Eternity Hub Africa is our organization. Um, as an individual, I'm not very big on social media, but um, Eternity Hub Africa also has a social uh, a Facebook page. We also have um, a Telegram group called Eternity Hub Africa, which you can just individually join and, and be part of the conversations that we already have. Awesome. Thanks, man. Have a good one and have a the have a best weekend coming over. And see you. Thank you very much, Greg. Cape Town next week. See you next week. Bye bye. Cheers, man. Hello once again, and that was the end of our conversation. And just before you go, just wanna communicate a few things with you uh, quickly. If you have uh, enjoyed any of the podcast or this specific podcast episode, I would appreciate it if you share it with your friends and family through your social media, Twitter, Facebook, etc., etc. As well as write me a five-star review on iTunes or Apple Podcast app. That would be fantastic. It helps me flourish and sustain this podcast as well. Uh, we also on other platforms like SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher Radio, um, and all other major podcast platforms. So whichever way you're listening to it, I would appreciate it if you leave me a review. You can also subscribe to the Grey Podcast through my website, greyjabesi.com, G-R-E-Y-J-A-B-E-S-I.com. There you also find some of the blogs that I'm writing sometimes and you get notified as soon as the new episode has been published until next time enjoy and be productive